you have a Bible, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As today we continue our journey through the book of 1 Corinthians and we're uh, in the middle of this amazing chapter about the resurrection. And we're going to see in verses uh, 35 through 38 that the resurrection is compared to agriculture. And then in verse 39, how in one sense it's compared to animals. And don't worry, it's not weird. In, in verse 40 through 41, how it's compared to astronomy. And then in verses 42 through 49, how it's compared to atoms. And it's more connected to atoms than it is compared to it. But let's look at verse 35 here in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul the Apostle writes, he says, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. Remember, in Corinth, there were some that were questioning the resurrection. They said that Jesus didn't rise. They were trying to be Christians with some bizarre theology. And so Paul the Apostle writes, largely the book of 1 Corinthians is a corrective letter, and he writes to tell them how, how foolish that is. You know, if Christ isn't risen, then we're still in our sins. But Christ is risen. Over 500 people have seen him. He is risen and we will live as well. And so as he's dealing with these questions, again, there in verse 35, uh, someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Now, these are, are great questions if you think about it. You know, I'm not sure if they were asking sincerely, sarcastically, or maybe with a, a bite of skepticism. You know, how are the dead raised up? But, but they're great questions. How are they raised up, and with what type of body do they have? You know, as far as the how, notice again what we read there in verse 38. It says in verse 38, but God gives it a body. You know, once you put God back in the equation, uh, the creator uh, of all things, the maker and maintainer, then there's no need for speculation. How is it going to happen? How is it that that guy over there, maybe he was cremated, maybe he, he was lost at sea, maybe that one's an organ donor. How is God going to raise up the body? How, how will they raise? And, and Paul just puts God back in the equation. He created us, and even when sin crippled us, he showed up to, you know, make the blind to see, the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. He's done it in the past and I'll do it again. He makes the dead to live. You know, we were, if you think about it, dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. But then it says in verse 5, but God made us alive again. In verse 6, but God raised us up. So as far as how that's going to happen, all you have to do is put God back in the equation. But then the second question is probably really more interesting. With what body do they come? And again, a, a great question. You know, I'm not sure if you ever contemplate this. And again, we don't know all the details, but we do have a summary. Uh, there's an in interesting passage in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 
Or John says, beloved, now we are children of God. You know, since we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we placed our faith in him. John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So, beloved, now we're children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so an interesting passage there because even John says it hasn't yet been revealed what we shall be. We don't know all the details, but he says right there we do have a summary. And the most important thing about you and me is that we will be like him, that we will see him. We will have the capacity to live in the very presence of God. And that is so cool when you think about it, you know. And we know that when Jesus rose from the dead, he was able to eat food, and then he was able to appear and disappear. We're going to be like him. Now, that's an interesting thing. Later on, we're going to see something that almost sounds like an oxymoron. We will have a spiritual body. We're going to be like him. When you look at Jesus in Luke chapter 24, it gives some of the details of all the different things that he did. You know, he ate food, but then, you know, he kind of walked through doors. We don't know all the details, but we know this, that we're going to be like him. We're going to have spiritual bodies. We're going to be, like when you go to Cambodia, it's interesting, uh, they have a t-shirt. And I don't know, it's probably everywhere now. Uh, For those of you who went to Cambodia with us, it says, same, same, but different. Same, same, but different. It's still going to be you, but, but you're going to be different, you know? And that's the thing that is so amazing about this. When I get to heaven, you know, uh, my dad, and I was looking at some pictures of him recently, you know, how, you know, you age over the years and you change and, and you look, and sometimes you look so weak, you know, but when I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to see my dad and it'll still be my dad, but it'll be different. You know, Chuck Smith, I was reading what he said. He said, when we get to heaven and you look for me, look for the guy with a head full of beautiful, bushy, curly hair. (laughs) I'll have a new body, he said, and I can hardly wait. You know, when you look at most of the pictures of Pastor Chuck, you know, he's got the bald head and and it's, I mean, he's still handsome and everything, but um, he knows, same, same, but different. It's going to be interesting when you you think about our, our bodies in heaven how will they be raised it's by god and but what kind of body do they have you know again i've talked about this with you guys before i have a feeling there's going to be no more flossing or washing or shaving or dying of the hair there Uh, ladies won't need to wear makeup not that they need to now necessarily but i'm just saying it's going to be so amazing no more deodorant travel will be instant joy will be constant This is why it's so beautiful to talk about heaven because uh, I've shared with you before, it's not just a a destination, it's a motivation. I want to be there. I want to see my Lord. I want to see my dad. I want to see those that have gone on before me. When you think about heaven, all food will not only taste good to you, it will be good for you. Think about that. That's where my mind immediately goes. You know, I start thinking about the, the base things, you know. But Paul, he doesn't really go there. He's a, a much better man than me. And he kind of keeps it spiritual. He keeps it glorious. And we're going to see that in heaven our bodies uh, will be better uh, beyond our wildest imagination. 
And so what Paul does, rather than going into the details as far as whether or not pizza is going to be good for you, he gives uh, illustrations. Okay, And the first thing he does here is he compares it to agriculture. Notice again what we read in verse 35. Someone will say, how are the dead raised up and with what body do they come? And Paul says, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. You know, he he tells these guys who are kind of resisting or denying the resurrection because they think, you know, how does it all work? To them it doesn't fit in their mind. And Paul calls them foolish. He says, it's simple to see even in the world right around you. Whenever you experience, you know, the planting and, and the reaping, the sowing, the agriculture, you see it every single day. You know, you take that seed and you plant it in the ground and it dies. And then it's different when it rises. It's tilled and then it's transformed when it rises. There's that, there's that comparison, Paul says, or the illustration, you know. And we, and we think of the seed buried in the ground. And from our perspective, the seed's not much. It's dead, dirty, small, simple, nothing to it. But then God takes that seed. He shows up. And in due time, the seed grows up and is completely transformed. You know, we spit seeds out when we do, you know, eat watermelon or oranges or, or grapes that have seeds, right? But we don't think much of them. But when you think about it, a seed is so amazing. All the DNA code within that seed. If an acorn dies, then the seeds within the acorn become this great giant oak tree. You know, tiny, magnificent, insignificant grain in our hands becomes barley and rice and corn and wheat. And that's the, the comparison. That's the illustration that, that Paul uses. William Barclay said this. He said, The seed is put in the ground and dies, but in due time it rises again, and does so with a very different kind of body from that with which it was sown. The seed is dissolved. When it rises again, there is a vast difference in its body And yet, in spite of the dissolution and the difference, it is the same seed within the soul. So our earthly bodies will dissolve, but they will rise again in very different forms. But it is the same person who rises, dissolved by death, changed by resurrection. It is still we who exist. And so, um, you know, when you guys have that, that concept in your mind as far as a seed going into the ground. This is why Christians bury their loved ones. Um, it's amazing just to think and there's going to be this, this fruit that, that rises, this body that rises. Uh, I, I was thinking about um, the, the tulip. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the tulip bulb is probably one of the ugliest seeds of all. You know, that's what I, I, was, I was reading. I'm like, very ugly. No one would display that, that ugly tulip seed. But then when you plant it in the ground and it dies, it produces these beautiful, magnificent, glorious, colorful tulips. And, and what Paul is saying, you know, is that that's how it is for us as Christians. That's how it is for us. You know, thank God for us taking care of our bodies, eating well, exercising, you know, trying to be in fit and shape. But man, it's like that tulip bulb. It's nothing compared to what God has for us one day.
And it's all there in the seed. God will be the one, he says, to determine the body because God is the one who determined the DNA even before uh, time began. Your DNA will still be you, ordained and sanctified by God who knit us together in our mother's womb. And so the first comparison is the comparison to agriculture. The, the second comparison in one sense is the comparison to animals. Look at verse 39. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. And so he's talking about heaven, and, and you might almost wonder, well, why is he talking about animals? You know, whatever you do, don't think that this verse teaches you might be a, an animal or in heaven or a stingray, a bird, or a lion or something. It, that's not what this verse teaches. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Genesis 1, 25 through 27, that we're way different than the animals. We have di dominion over the animals, that we were created in the image of God. And so it's not teaching that. Another thing that maybe someone might say about this verse is kind of interesting, but probably not the, the primary re meaning. But, but some actually believe that this can be a proof text for the existence of animals in heaven. Now, I don't think that would be the verse to turn to um, right here, but I do know that when you think about that, do you guys ever think about whether or not There'll be animals in heaven. And why is Paul now, when he's talking about heaven, talking about the different types of flesh and this kind of stuff, fish and birds and, and creatures? And, uh, and again, I don't think this verse would be the verse to turn to. But I do know this. In Revelation uh, chapter 19, verse 11, Jesus was riding from heaven to earth on a horse. And I also know this, that my dog Chip was saved. He's in heaven. So there's got to be animals in heaven, right? I have a hunch there is, but this wouldn't be the proof text to, to turn to. Animals in heaven, to be honest, it makes a lot of sense to me. But again, that's not what Paul is teaching here. What he's simply saying is this, that the bodies will be vastly different than the seed that's sown. And they're different from one another based on the need of the environment, a bird in the air, a fish in the sea, uh, cattle in the field, us in heaven. We're going to be different. We're going to be different from what we are now, and we're going to be different from one another. I, I don't know the names of the Star Wars guys, the ones in the white suits. What are they, paratroopers? Uh, Stormtroopers? Um, you know, um, some people, believe it or not, they might think well, when we go to heaven, everyone's going to be like a, a Barbie doll or a Ken doll. They're going to be six foot four, two twenty five, tanned and toned, and you know how horrible that would be, right? I mean, we are going to be different. What, what we see right here is that God is going to give us new bodies, so much glorious, more glorious than they are now, like that tulip bulb to the tulip, like the the caterpillar to the butterfly. And not only will they be so much glorious than they are now, but we're going to be very different from each other. You know, John Corson said this, because our, our present bodies are designed for 14 pounds per square inch, we can only travel in the air or underwater in pressurized cabins or suits. 
And because our present bodies are designed to take in a specific mix of air composed of 78% oxygen, 21% nitrogen, and 1% gases, we remain essentially earthbound. In other words, this body could not survive in heaven by any means. And God is just saying, listen, Paul is saying, listen, much different. The same DNA, human flesh, it's going to be different. Those are things that none of us can change. But the third comparison is, is really pretty interesting. You know, we're compared to agriculture. It's compared to animals. And then it's compared to astronomy. Look at verse 40. He said, there are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. Now, it's interesting how Paul would bring this up at this point. Another comparison, this time from the world of astronomy. Now he talks about the terrestrial, that's the earthly being. And then he talks about the celestial, that's the heavenly being. And, and when he talks about the celestial, he says, Consider the glory of the moon and the sun and the stars, how they shine in their brilliance and how they differ in their glory. I like to think of the moon as a nightlight, you know. And then the sun, it's our uh, sun, and we think, wow, it's, it's pretty powerful. But then as time progresses, we learn that it's really not as bright as many of the stars that are out there. So there's this variance that we see in the night uh, skies. And so really what many teachers believe here is that this passage teaches that some saints will shine brighter than others, so to speak, even in heaven. And you might wonder, well, why is that? Well, it's the result of their faithfulness on earth while in these bodies. Uh, remember how Paul closes the chapter in verse 58. He says that we are to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not vain in the Lord. And so it's interesting how he closes the chapter with that stimulation to serve God with all your heart, to abound in that work. And so, you know, here, when he's talking about the different glory and the way that they shine, to me it's interesting how he gives the variables here. Warren Wisby said this, Paul is suggesting that believers may differ from believer in glory, even though all Christians have glorified bodies. He said, every cup in heaven will be filled, but some cups will be bigger than others because of the faithfulness and sacrifice of those saints when they were on earth. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3, there's an interesting passage. It says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so what's he saying? What, what are we thinking here? Um, there is a possibility that as people discover their calling in life and they develop it and they deploy it, as they, they serve God faithfully as, as a husband and a wife and a parent and all the different roles and responsibilities that we have in the church and sharing the Lord Jesus with people and not getting caught up in our own life as we just get consumed with the calling upon our life for Him 
to reach out, that, that as we're doing that faithfully, and then Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, with motivations of love, that in one sense, those saints will shine brighter for the glory of God forever and ever in heaven. And so the first comparison to the agriculture, um, the DNA, we can't change. The, the second comparison to the animals, we're going to have human flesh and different. We can't change. But this third one, the comparison to astronomy, there is something there that is something that we can actually contribute to. Why would you want to shine? The only reason I would ever want to shine is for the glory of God. And so it's interesting, you know, when, when you read about this in the Bible, Jesus did teach different rewards in heaven. In the parable of the Minas in Luke chapter 19, he talked about how some people are going to receive greater rewards. And he did talk about that in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12. It says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And so um, somehow that glory glorifies God. And, and here Paul talks about that, how they differ in their brilliance. Again, we don't know all the details, but we do know that it'll be different, way different than you know, what we see now. We're going to have beautiful personal bodies, flesh but not fallen, shining for God's glory. And then what he does in the last section here is he compares us uh, to the different atoms. And he connects us, really. Look at verse 42. It says, And so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also shall bear the image of the heavenly man. You know, a lot of times when I'm doing a service and I'm at the graveside and we're just about to lay the body to rest, in the ground, this is the passage that I turn to. How we're sowing that body into the ground like we're planting a seed. And, you know, right here is so cool how Paul says it's sown in corruption. You know, if you think about it, our, cell, our cells are dying all the time. Um, but raised in incorruption, how, how it's sown in dishonor. And I was thinking about dishonor, and I guess you could say when you, when you look at a body that, that's, that's, that's dead, there's not much to it. But even the dishonor of sin, the shame of sin, I mean, that, that's going down, but it's being raised in a, in a body that there'll be no more sin. 
Now, sown in incorruption, raised in corruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a, a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. You know, and, and I know you guys, we've all experienced the passing of a loved one. And, you know, there's something about it. And it's interesting how I even talked about this last week with you, how some of you, you know, a Mother's Day is a tough day because mom's gone. And, and, and yet, you know, as, as Christians, we know that we'll see them again. There's something inside us that tells us, man, we know we're going to see them again. There's something about that that seems right. And, and that's what Paul is talking about here as we're continuing to go through this chapter on the resurrection. You know, what he's saying is that there is that resurrection and not, not just being reconciled, though, is that next time I see dad, you know, my dad's going to be, he's not going to be, you know, the way that he ended his life. You know, I, again, you think about him there, you know, gasping for breath or weak or, or feeble. No, he'll be strong. And, and the next time I see him, it'll, there'll never be a goodbye ever again like that. That's the hope. That's the reality. That's what we have as Christians forever and ever, the, the, the natural body will be replaced with the spiritual body. And, and what we find in the end is that God wins. Death loses. It's all found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, my dad was addicted to drugs. My dad used to steal my mom's shoes to buy heroin. I remember my dad, you know, the, the little times I seen him walking with 12 packs pretty much every day, drinking. I remember a lot of things about my dad, you know, and he eventually ended up homeless, you know, and he, he I remember, you know, talking to my aunt, different people on how my dad said, I'll never go to church. I don't believe in God. You know, but then when I got saved, it was so cool because... This, I guess the way that it worked for us and for everyone is different is that even though my dad was chained, he was chained with the drugs so that he could never really be the dad that I think he probably wanted to be, we still loved each other. I loved him. I didn't harbor any bitterness or ill feelings towards him. We loved each other. There's something inside that just, it, that's just how I felt. You can't change the way you feel. That's how I felt. I loved him. So that when I got saved and I ended up sharing the Lord with him, I remember him telling me one day, you know, I probably wouldn't have listened to anyone else except you because I know you love me. And somehow it became real. And so here, you know, he is having gone through everything that he's gone through. And all I can tell you is that if you're out there and you're struggling with whatever the crazy sin may be, and for some of you out there, it's not drugs or alcohol or crystal meth or pornography. Some of you, maybe it is. But maybe you're out there and you're struggling with pride or materialism or just you just know that you're distant from God or whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter what the sin is. At the end of the day... Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. He rose again the third day. And all you have to do is believe in him, accept him as your Lord and Savior. And this place that we're talking about called heaven, that'll be your home one day. You know, my dad never owned a home. My dad ended his life, you know, renting a room. But now he has a mansion in heaven. 
And that's the promise that God wants to give to all of us. Here he's saying that all of us here were connected to Adam in one sense, you know, because of the fact that we were all descendants of Adam. But then there's the second Adam. His name is Jesus. And when you place your faith in Jesus, then what we do is we have that connection in him. And what we read right here is that Jesus is uh, the giver of life. And that's what we see in this section right here. As this body is sown into the ground, it is raised in power. And so we read in verse 45 again, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. He, came, he became alive. We read that in Genesis 2-7. But the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And that's what we're talking about here, that, that Jesus wants to give us life. And let me close uh, today with a couple of things. I was listening to the testimony of a, of a, a brilliant theologian, uh, apologist, uh, this last week by the name of Ravi Zacharias. And uh, uh, he uh, actually is uh, uh, suffering with cancer right now. And if you could keep him in prayer, because doctors are saying that he might not have much time. Of course, we know God can heal him. So, so pray for him that the Lord would, because if he does pass, we'll, we'll experience a great loss but, but he was talking about how, how when he was 17 years old, Ravi Zacharias was 17 years old, and he, and he, and he tried to take his life. He, he attempted suicide. And thank God, you know, he didn't succeed, but he came close. He was there in the hospital. His family had kind of, they've all been raised Christians. There was that, that Christian, you know, name, but they didn't really know the Lord. It doesn't you know, matter if you're raised a Christian. Remember, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You have to accept the Lord personally yourself. Your parents might be a Christian. doesn't make you a Christian. You have to be real about this. And so, again, family had the name, but they didn't have the heart. Ravi had the name, but he didn't really know the Lord. And so he tried to take his life. Just like so many people, so many young people nowadays, they get those thoughts in their mind. Because the devil, he's the, the one who brings death, but Jesus brings life. And so here's Ravi, 17 years old. He's in the hospital. He doesn't want to live. His mom is there with him in the room. And then there's a knock at the door. And it was a, a gentleman from Campus Crusade for Christ. And he wanted to come in and minister, you know, and read some scriptures uh, to him. But his mom said no. And so what the guy did is he opened up the Bible uh, to John chapter 14. And he asked uh, Ravi's mom, well, at least will you read the scriptures to him? And so Ravi's mom began to read the scriptures to him. And he said nothing made sense whatsoever. But she's reading John chapter 14. But then he said that when she got to verse 19, it was as if the Holy Spirit had opened his heart, opened his eyes, and he heard these words where Jesus said, A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. And here was a young man, 17 years old. He did not want to live but when those words were were read to him the holy spirit just amplified them and he heard those words of jesus 
because I live, you will live also. And Ravi Zacharias was there in his hospital room and he said, I didn't want to live, but I heard those words and I heard them from the lips of Jesus. And he said that because he lives, I can live. And he said, I don't have that life, but right here, right now, I want that life that Jesus gives. I want that life. And it was just so cool because at that moment, God came into his heart. God saved him in a moment of time. And, and to me, I thought it was so cool because what ends up happening now is Ravi Zacharias, he said a prayer, Lord, come into my life. From this day forward, I'll, I'll leave no stone unturned until I find out all there is to know about you. And he experienced that life. And that's what happens when you become a Christian. The life immediately immediately comes in god comes in you may feel it you may not but it's true and that life begins then and it lasts forever and so ravi zacharias great apologist a beautiful christian man it's interesting what ended up happening though as you continue to go through his life eventually uh, his mom passed away and so they buried her, and on the tombstone they were asking what scripture to put. And he said, put John 14, 19, because that's the verse that got me. And I want to put that on my mom's tombstone. Because I live, you will live also. But then his wife, Margie, uh, began to ask him, Hey, Ravi, you always talk about your grandma. Um, where's her uh, tombstone? Where was she buried? And Ravi said, well, she was buried in the only Christian cemetery at the time in Delhi. And so they decided to go and to visit her tombstone. And, and they couldn't find it because it had been 40 years. It had been over 40 years since anyone had visited her tombstone. So they finally, they went to the registry. They got the plot number. They found out at least where the location was, but it was buried. And so they actually, they literally had to get someone to come and dig in order to find the tombstone. And the crazy thing about this is as they found it, you'll never guess what was written on that tombstone. John 14, 19. Because I live, you will live also. And that's that personal promise. Ravi saw a personal word from God. Wow, my grandma, 40 years ago, this guy that comes into my room, the Holy Spirit uses that verse. It's so true. It is so true. And as I was going through this story, I thought, wow, Lord, I, I hope it's able to come true, but this is going to be the verse for my dad, too. Because you live, Jesus, and I know you live, I know you live, he will live, we will live also. And I thank God for this word. As we go through the scriptures, we get to know that the resurrection is true. It begins now and it lasts forever. And for those of you who are Christians, I pray that it would stimulate you to go and to serve the Lord with a passion. Whatever you do, you don't want to have any reserves because you don't want to have any regrets. Let us serve him with a reckless abandon. But for those of you out there who might not yet know the Lord, or maybe you're just religious, or maybe your family knows the Lord and you're thinking, well, that's good enough. No, you have to know the Lord also. So I pray that today, if you don't, that today would be the day you surrender your life to 
Jesus Christ.